I want to direct your attention this morning to uh, a passage from Paul's epistle to the Colossians. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about as we uh, approach this time of prayer is what requests the apostle Paul makes when he prays for the church and what requests does he ask of, of others to pray for him? You know, we can get caught up in kind of a rut in our prayers where we tend to pray for the things that are immediately on the front burner in terms of urgency in our lives. And and there's nothing wrong with that, of course. The Lord tells us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. We know that our concerns are his concerns as our heavenly father. And of course, the Bible tells us that he knows what we need before we ask. And he cares for us just as he uh, cares for all of his creatures. But but nonetheless, it is, it is the case that oftentimes what we see as urgent and what we see as most important in our lives actually turns out to be not the most urgent and important thing when we look to the scriptures. And so it's, it's striking. I'll give you a few passages that you can look at later on and then zero in on this one from Colossians. For instance, if you look at what Paul prays for in Romans 15. He prays that he would be delivered. There is an immediacy to his prayer, but he wants to have his service acceptable. Or if you look at Paul, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 or Ephesians 3 or Ephesians 6, just three wonderful prayers in that little letter to the church in Ephesus. What he prays for is that they would grow in their knowledge of Christ and in their understanding of of what it means to be his children, elected by him, adopted by him. He wants them to be watchful and prayerful because of the spiritual temptations they face. In Philippians 1, it's along the same lines. Paul prays that they would grow in knowledge and discernment in all things. In 1 Thessalonians 3, what Paul prays for is that any lacking in their faith would be would be built up by the Lord, that he would establish them blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and in 2 Thessalonians 1 and in 2 Thessalonians 3, he, he, he prays that, that God would make them worthy of the high calling they have in Christ Jesus. So what we see when we look at the prayers of Paul is that Paul was concerned first and foremost for their spiritual well-being, for their being built up in Christ. He understood what Peter tells us, that the Lord has given us everything we need through the knowledge of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because the Lord has given us what we need, we're to be built up in him and further grow in our knowledge of Christ. Now that brings us to the passage that I wanted us to look at just to meditate on in a few minutes as we prepare to pray. And that's in Colossians 1, 9 through 12. Let me read this whole, uh, this whole section, this whole record of Paul's prayer. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. What does he pray for? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
Well, this is a rich prayer and we can hardly scratch the surface of it in just a few minutes, but I want to point out three major requests or three major features of Paul's prayer for these Colossians. We know from the book of Colossians that the Colossian church had great dangers that it was facing. It was in danger, Paul says, of being taken captive by empty human notions, and and that there was there were there were false teachings that were in their midst that were sort of in the air in Colossae that they were susceptible to, and so uh, Paul issues warnings and gives great wisdom in this book. But in the prayer, he really focuses on three aspects. First, he mentions this, and you you see this in verse nine that that, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God. God's will. I wonder when the last time was that you prayed that prayer for someone else, or even prayed that prayer for yourself, that this person whom I love would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Well, what does Paul mean by that? Well, he, he doesn't mean what we often mean when we talk about knowing the will of God. He doesn't mean that the Colossians would know precisely what they were supposed to do the next day, whether they were supposed to take this job or that job, whether they were supposed to travel to this city or that city. That's not the kind of thing that he means when he's talking here about the will of God. Really, what he means is that they would grow in their knowledge of the scriptures. If you look at parallel passages where Paul uses this term, 1 Corinthians 2 or Romans 8, he talks about the will of God and identifies it with the law of God. That is to say that they would grow in their knowledge of the scriptures. But then you notice in verse 9, Paul unpacks what it would mean, what it would look like to grow in a knowledge of the will of God. This might be a good test for yourself to see if you're growing in the knowledge of God's will. He says, you will be walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. That is, you'll be growing in patience and humility and your ability to bear with one another. He says, you'll be pleasing the Lord. You, I want you to be fully pleasing to him, he says in verse 10. Is that your goal in life? Then more than pleasing anyone else, you would please the Lord. Well, that's what it means to be filled with the knowledge of his will and to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He goes on to say that you'd bear fruit in every good work that your life in all of its aspects and all of its respects would be, would be bearing good fruit for the Lord. And we know that fruit's only born as Christ works in and through us by his spirit. And then he says this, that you're increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. That's what happens, isn't it? When you attend the scriptures, when you really do grow in your knowledge of the scriptures, you're growing in your knowledge of the Lord. That's how he's revealed himself to his people. And so we need to grow in our knowledge of him through it. Well, the second major request, and we see this in verse 11, is that the Colossians would be strengthened with all power. Now, it's notable that this is, Paul's clear about the fact that this strengthening comes from God himself. This isn't that they would would have greater and greater strength apart from the Lord, but rather that the Lord would work through them and give them his strength, the strength that only he can provide. You remember what Paul says in Philippians 2, it's God who's at work within you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Now, what does this result in? Well, it's interesting because once again, he, he, it doesn't result in what we might think of. It doesn't result in some kind of miraculous shows of strength, some miraculous display. Uh, no, in fact, what Paul says is that we'd be strengthened with his power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience 
with joy. That is to say that Paul sees God's power most clearly at work in those who are quietly, faithfully, in a contented way, following the Lord in their lives. We're so attracted, aren't we, to major outward displays of what we think of as success. But when Paul talks about the real power of God, he sees that power displayed in endurance, in humility, in perseverance, with great joy. What's the third thing he mentions? Well, the third thing he mentions, of course, is in verse 12. And he says, he does all this giving thanks to the Father. There are some different ways to look at this. It could be the case that what Paul is saying is that he gives thanks to the Father as he makes these requests. And that's possible. Certainly, Paul says that in other places, that he gives thanks to God for these Christians. And I hope I hope our prayer is, is uh, accenting thankfulness, because biblically speaking, it should be. We have so much to be thankful for. And no matter who it is that you're praying for, give thanks to God for his work in that person's life. But I don't think that's all that's going on here. I think actually grammatically, Paul's not just saying that he gives thanks while he prays these prayers. He's actually praying that they would grow in these ways and that they too would grow in thankfulness. Gratitude is one of the marks of the growing Christian life. Have you ever noticed this in the Old Testament when the Israelites fall into grave sin, grave rebellion against the Lord? If you just look back a few verses, it's always preceded by complaining, by grumbling and murmuring. Thankfulness is the mark of a growing Christian. And Paul, when he prays, gives thanks to the Father. And he asks that the Father would cause them to continue to give thanks for all that he had done for them. And so as you consider your prayers, both in this next hour and even as your life of prayer, we're really called to pray without ceasing. It's one of the marks of of a Christian to be a, a person of prayer. In fact, actually, in the early church, sometimes Christians were referred to by the Romans as those people who pray. That should be a mark of us today. But as we pray, let's look and see that our priorities in prayer that our framework for prayer matches the framework of the Apostle Paul in Scripture, particularly as you pray for other Christians, people that you love in your family, people that you want to see to grow in Christ. Uh, Make these priorities, Paul's priorities, uh, your priorities as well.